So thank you all for coming to Cock Talk. He has trouble counting change with the with the with the hands thing. Wait, wait, stop. Sorry. Yes, but I don't yeah. think that Dana Carvey's movie um, coming out at that same time was really that big a problem for our country. I still don't know why you're making such a big deal about September 11th, 2001. I mean, I fucking hate you. Well, you know, they don't necessarily need to be anathema, but they are definitely on different ends of the spectrum. Oh boy, how? See, I have every, a genetic predisposition every, against redheads, so because yeah, because you are one, right? Yeah, combustion. Yeah, we've yeah. heard it before. Yep. The only time I change the setting so, is when so, I take the okay. uh, hair trimmer down to the nether regions. Like that's the only time. Other than that, it's all just a two. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I just don't How about you all? I'm joking. I use V. After the four Gospels, what's the next book of the Bible? Acts. Okay. And after that, it's Romans, isn't it? I'm drunk. Um, yeah, Romans. Okay, yeah. Yes. Okay. And if you look at the 15th chapter of Romans, okay, uh, you will find that it actually mentions uh, the ability to arm yourself. That's why it's AR-15. Thank you. Checkmate atheists. And, and anytime there's action in the ring, Scott Hall is taking all the bumps because Kevin Nash kind of sucks as a worker. Fired up my barbecue grill for the first time in five or six months, um, and uh, I wound up uh, fixing steaks for myself and my wife and my son and a guest that we had over. And because my son is only five, um, there's no way on God's green earth, uh, even though he is my son, that he's going to be able to eat a full-sized steak. So after I took them off of the grill, um, I, I plated everything up and I took kind of the, the center part of, of the steak that was air quotes his, and I put it on a plate with his asparagus and, um, I, I forgot that we live with a pair of, uh, uh, ambush predator slash scavengers in our house we have two cats and um i i just i was in a hurry to get everything out on the table and i didn't do anything with the remainder of of the steak that that my son was eating and um it took until remarkably enough it took until after we had all finished eating and we were sitting around the table chatting that i heard a clatter from the kitchen and i went in and and it was not the cat I expected. Uh, we we have one one smaller, slinkier, generally kind of more clever cat. It was not her. It was our big orange dipshit. 
who had jumped up onto the counter. I have a name, sir. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, <laughs> and now you completely derailed me. No. Um, jumped up into the kitchen. Yeah, jumped up uh, and and seized the steak and and had jumped down onto the floor. I came into the kitchen. He saw me coming and he moved with more speed than what one would expect a a an, an orange striped tub of lard to move uh, into the hallway. And and I tried to grit. He actually swiped at me when I tried to take this away from him. Like I I I grabbed the steak up off the ground he is normally a lover not a fighter but he had gotten a hold of something good enough that god damn it he was not going to give it up um and and so yeah i witnessed this complete personality change in in one of my two cats um over beef he literally had beef so yeah that's that's what happened earlier in my evening what have you got going on well, I'm Damien Harmony. I am a Latin and uh, U.S. history teacher up here in Northern California. I'm going to start tonight with a little history lesson. In 1881, oh. Charles Guiteau shot uh, uh, James Garfield in the yes. back. Um, yeah. Luckily, uh, he was well marbled, speaking of beef, and the bullet did not kill him outright. Uh, <laughs> the result was uh, he had a team of doctors poking and prodding him all summer long, killing him slowly. Mm. Um and uh, so he was convalescing. Uh, he was still shitty enough to, I think, um, make sure that a Native American leader was starved to death. But um, he also, because he's presidential. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, but he also was convalescing and not running the country. At the same time that summer, Congress went home and so did the Supreme Court. And the whole country, I'm not saying ran well, but I am going to say ran as it would have anyway if any of them had been around. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so this week, I uh, had an administrator down in Southern California at a conference. <laughs> we are three vice administrators short at present. And the person who's an administrator, not quite an administrator, but has mild administrative duties, was also gone for a luncheon. And the administrator who is leaving us and so still transitioning out uh, was coming in late every day because he had to handle other things at his new site. Um, um, anyway, it felt like 1881 all over again. <clears throat> it was weird. Uh, um, yes. Okay. So I'm, I'm, there, there, there are layers to my, to my level of shock here. How how many vice principals do you have on your site? Well, a school our size uh, normally should have no fewer than three, and frankly, probably would do better with four, depending on what things they need them to do. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. And so then, you're and then a principal. Yeah. 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 So. All right. So, so yeah, we're so... presently at zero. Wow. Speaking yeah. of benign neglect. Well, um, and here's the thing. My educational <laughs> career started with, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Incompetent neglect uh, <laughs> at, at uh, a charter school. And, uh, so Is there any was... other way charter schools get operated? No. Well, okay, no, there's malignant neglect and outright. True, like, true. Yeah, okay. And I dare but... say that there may be uh, a good one out there. I don't know. 
Um, but uh, but I started with such neglect that I had to create all of my own curriculum and all of my own stuff. And so now when somebody steps in, I get really tetchy um, about them trying to, as I see it, interfere. Uh, they might well be trying to help, but then we end up in periods like this where there is literally no human capital, no personnel. And I'm like, okay, cool. I know exactly how to do this. And other people are like righteously indignant. And that's fair. I think that's a valid response. But I'm sitting there going like, yeah, yeah. oh, no. Like, what are it's almost like when people, you know, said, well, what are you going to do if you defund the police and who's going to show up 20 minutes late? to a burglary and tell you you should have had better locks like what are you gonna do like yeah. expect to live through a, a traffic stop like come on like and yeah. i'm like yeah that's that's kind of how i see most kind of how i visualize work. that yeah yeah so wow anyway uh but you know uh we do have people coming to us we we have hired a few and that's that's good and i'm looking forward to being cautiously optimistic and training them on what a contract is so okay but yeah Damn. and uh i actually uh get to welcome back our guest from yes. last week uh dr manuel rustin who was teaching us about hip-hop last time um and i saw him nodding his head uh because he and i worked together a hundred years ago um at a site uh where i think when i got hired there you'd been there a year and i yeah. think they had what four admin four under admin plus the uh principal at the time I think that's right. Yeah. Um, and without throwing anybody under the bus or anything like that, uh, is there anything inaccurate of what I've said uh, 20 years later? I, I'm trying to remember who the like assistant principals were at the time or whatever they were called because it was yeah. like a rotating cast of characters. Right? Yeah. Yeah. When I first got there, one of them was had to – he was like a army reserve or something. So then he went to Iraq. That shows how long ago wow. this was. This is like, this was before the, this, this is before the surge. If folks can right. remember that. So then, and then eventually he came back and they didn't have a spot for him. So he took the district to court. Um, Yeah. It was a rotating cast of characters, man. Wow. Yeah. That is, that is insane. That's, that's nuts. Um. Yeah, so there you go. Uh, not much has changed, um, other than, you know, we've we've got more kids uh, who've come back having served in an unending war that just recently ended. So, yeah. yeah. So, anyway, on to more cheery things. Uh, so apparently, there was a huge war between uh, the West Coast and the East Coast uh, hip hop artists, um, and they all met at the Mississippi River talked out their problems, um, had a rap battle, if you will, uh, and uh, parted as friends. Uh, that's that's at least what American Anthem told me um, in in the uh, the primary document section of the textbook. Um, and apparently it was it was moderated by Gilbert Gottfried uh, and uh, and Eminem uh, emerged the king of hip hop. Um, did I miss anything or is that pretty much how it how it went? I wish. Oh, I wish. <laughs> I so, I just want to say how yeah. how absolutely on point that description of any major textbooks description of any historical event in our country, yeah, actually is. 
you know, let's pull in two white guys and say that they won and one of them had nothing to do with anything and the other one yeah. was, you know, yeah. years later. But Jesus. Yeah. yeah. Violence was felt on both sides. And yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh Manuel, thank you so much for coming back, actually, and and hopefully um teaching us. Uh let's see, we got into the nineties, so I I dare say that's roughly halfway to to the present. So I think we go go a pace. We'll we'll probably finish up with uh, understanding stuff contemporarily. So, yeah, certainly. And I would just add, um, since I didn't clarify last episode between mm-hmm. terminology regarding hip hop versus rap, um, ah. just to because you brought up how um, the DJ to mm-hmm. your you know to, from your observation, it seemed like that faded away late eighties. Yeah. Uh, with Spenderell and some others. And and yeah, originally, so hip hop, that term is more inclusive of of things, elements beyond just the rap music part of it. So usually when when someone um someone who's well versed in the art form uh uses the term hip hop, they're talking about like the elements of hip hop. And that four elements of hip hop are the DJing, which was uh, at the heart of its creation, the the rapping or the MCing, which of course is the most uh, well-known aspect of it, um, graffiti, which was a big part of the culture early on, oh. and then the break dancing, which this was all created for the dancing uh, at first in the first place. So those four elements, um, especially the more old school folks, the folks who are really, really heavy on the 80s uh, and 70s era hip hop. Mm-hmm. Um, are really big on those elements and really take offense to like hip hop anniversary tributes and this and that, that like ignore all that. So the Grammys had a big 50th anniversary of hip hop performance and all these different rappers from different eras came on. And, um, you know, I saw a lot of people, a lot of hip hop heads mad that they didn't represent any uh, DJing or any uh, graffiti art during that time because those were elemental. So rap in 90s was pretty much rap. Uh, that is strictly the music and specifically the rapping on a beat. Um, so, you know, rap is part of hip hop. Uh, folks use the terms sometimes interchangeably. Mm-hmm. So when, uh, definitely when it comes to Biggie and Tupac and the conflict and what happens after, it's pretty much rap music. Like DJ is a, DJing is a very much lost art form. Uh, graffiti, uh, definitely a really big art form around the world, but not necessarily uh, associated with rap music the way it used to be. And um, and dances everywhere, but not associated with the music in the same kind of way that it used to be. So just wanted to clarify that. Yeah, actually, let me uh, ask you a few questions about that. Then, um, sure. would you say that the graffiti and the break dancing, specifically, have pulled away from uh, hip hop and kind of created their own, kind of created them, yeah. recreated themselves as their own art forms, separate? and away from that or is it still umbrella under no i would say it's separate in a way when you talk about street art now like Mm -hmm. um you know whether it's like big you know big uh, known folks like banksy or Mm -hmm. you know local folks it's um it's not really associated in the same kind of way with the culture of hip-hop and i think as soon as it started leaving new york and spreading outside of new york uh that element started to, to to fade some i mean New York is a is a perfect canvas for graffiti with subway yes. trains and all that. And, you know, that's not necessarily necessarily the case in, in a lot of the other cities that um, that were making the music. Well, and and you mentioned Banksy, which uh, he often gets associated with uh, more with punk rock. 
mm. um, as well, a, a DIY culture because of the way that he printed his stuff. And I'm thinking also maybe Shepard Ferry. Um, yeah. As as although I guess Shepard Ferry's not as much a graffitist, but um, although no, the the Obey stuff that started as graffiti. Yeah, it did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like uh, print print made graffiti. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, and it, it reminds me of uh, what our guest Jason said about how you know people you know there's a the phrase that's so punk rock, and he says you know that's in many ways that ethos is the hip hop ethos now. There is there is a DIY culture to to both in in the beginning certainly, there is the capitalization of it by cynical people who put together bands to mm -hmm. ape the sound of what was happening in the scene, um, it, something from nothing as you'd said, uh, and then you do have the ties to uh, graphic art, um, you know graffiti and and what have you. So that's that's interesting. There's less dancing in in punk rock, but that like that that ethos again the, those those two things they seem to run really parallel it's 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 interesting that you don't have that much capitalized on successful crossover financially between those two because they they do seem to run on a lot of the same fuel yeah so ed were you gonna say something there well just talking about um the the graphic art portion of it um what i meet the the individual artist that i immediately that i immediately think of is keith herring would he fit in with that uh that did did he fit under that umbrella or was his was it just contemporaneous in time and i'm i'm was he the chalk I'm guy uniting. the one that did like the frenetic movement like characters yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you? Oh, yeah, no, I, yeah, I'm okay. not sure. Um, okay. certainly when it comes to the graffiti and street art aspect of hip hop, the um, like the godfather of that, as far as hip hop goes, uh, Basquiat. And um, once Basquiat's works started to be shown in in uh, high, high uh, class uh, New York establishments, and um, mm -hmm. and really, um, after that, kind of as far as the the, the music kind of took off uh, without uh, bringing the art along with it. From mm -hmm. my vantage point, I'm sure somebody out there would listen mm -hmm. and be like, "Wow, well, dare you!" But um, you know, as a West Coast person, I never graffiti. You know, West Coast graffiti. My association with it is gangbanging, and it's not mm -hmm. like music territorial and art, so. markers. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Basquiat was the next name I was going to ask about. So okay, and he died famously of uh an overdose yeah um, in the late yeah. 80s so so do we see and that's interesting and that might actually serve as a good bridge to uh to what we were going to open with um do we see that um less so with with uh breakdance artists uh but more so with with uh graffiti artists do we see their deaths as being the thing that help uh, helps fade them out of the larger milieu of hip hop, or is it just that the music is so much more easy to capitalize on? Yeah, I think it's just the spread of the music um, okay. and it being so easy to capitalize on. And I mean, New York spent oh, who knows how much money um, trying to crack down on on the sorts of graffiti that were big in the 70s and early 80s, like um, whole cars being painted, a uh, whole sub subway cars being painted um, mm -hmm. back then. So I'm sure that had a lot to do with it, too. Sure, sure. 
Yeah, that's the Ed Koch era, if I recall. Yeah. And, and oh, uh, Dinkins, right? Daryl Dinkins. And then, I mean, eventually, I mean, this is getting into the 90s, but um, Giuliani and the, you know, Broken Windows leasing. And um, yeah, but no, if you look at, you know, like I said, if anybody searches or looks for a 70s era Bronx Mm -hmm. photography, I mean, you just the interior of subway cars were right. just like you could like <laughs> you couldn't tell what the original color was of even the interior because every right. every inch was covered. And um, like I said, buildings and just burned down buildings everywhere and just a, a real hellscape for, mm-hmm. you know, for a freaking major U.S. city. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's interesting, too, because uh, you see the same thing happening in Berlin uh Mm. uh, toward the toward the mid to late 80s uh but berlin city fathers did something very different once the wall fell they invited all the artists they said please come and squat because we don't have the money to keep this stuff up (laughs) so could you (laughs) could you do something with it and berlin's always been an art town it's not been a commerce town necessarily whereas new york's very much been a commerce town so the 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 cutting edge uh against art and toward uh, you know, uh, authoritarianism uh, seems to make a lot more sense in New York, but Berlin absolutely responded to graffiti in a very different fashion. Um, interestingly, uh, Rudy Giuliani, uh, remember, uh, Ed, uh, he led the police riot. Um, yeah, yeah, I've been thinking the moment from the first moment Giuliani got yeah. mentioned, I was, oh, yeah, yeah, the guy that rioted with, with the cops, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, uh, Manuel, do you know of the uh, the police riot in New York? I don't think so. No. Oh, so they they're protesting Daryl Dinkins because he put together a commission that essentially would look at and and I covered this in uh, God I forget what episode, um, but uh, could have been the Punisher actually because Marvel is housed there, um, but uh, he essentially the police protested that there could be an investigation into the racial aspects of them beating down civilians um, and that they would actually be internal investigations. It wasn't even outside investigations. It was like internal investigations. And the police went apeshit and, and like thousands of them rioted and attacked people like as though, you know, as, as though somebody won a sports game. Uh, but they rioted, and one of the people uh, who grabbed a microphone and spoke on their behalf and against the, I believe, first black mayor of New York um, was Rudolph Giuliani. So, which, you know, he got a brand well, to protect. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, fuck Rudy. Yeah. So, all right. So, it's 1990. Let's see. We talked about De La Soul. We talked about um, a Tribe Called Quest. Uh, so the the early 90s, you're seeing other branches, but at the same time, what seems to be growing is this beef that is happening between East and West Coast. Um, if I recall, and I could be wrong, but uh, Tupac is originally from the New York area, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, his yeah, mom. He was born in New York City, um, yeah. lived there for a couple years, and then moved down to Baltimore right. and spent really his formative years there. And um, attended Baltimore School for the Arts and then came to the West Coast, uh, Marin City, outside of um, World Bay Area. Right. And I think by then he was already like he was in high school. I think he might have already been in like 10th or 11th grade. 
Yeah. Uh, his mom was actually part of that. You remember, Ed, we talked about um, in the V series, um, that group of women who were selecting bombing targets and bombing the shit out of things saying like, hey, we will keep bombing stuff unless you stop bombing other people. Mm-hmm. His mom was one of the people that was tied to one of those groups. Uh, and it was um... named it was named for like the same birthday as Ho Chi Minh and Malcolm X. Oh, um, okay. It was like the wow. it was. I want to say I forget. I forget what their birthday is, but it was like it was M thirteen or something like that, like for May thirteenth. Okay, um, but yeah. his mom was tied to that. She she has been a what America would consider a radical. Um, yeah, and she has been very very involved uh, in politics uh, in the in the New York area certainly all the way up and down the Beltway. Um, and so yeah, he's got New York roots. So yet he ends up being considered the avatar for West Coast. I guess in this in this thing is that right? Yeah, uh, very unfortunately too. And all this happened so quickly. I mean, I I think folks, Tupac has such a large place in mm-hmm. uh, hip hop history and really just uh, you know uh, American culture that folks kind of don't realize everything everything you ever heard of related to Tupac all happened within a span of like five years. Like his first mm-hmm. album came out in ninety um, ninety one and. Um, he was killed in 96. So everything from his appearances in movies to the multiple albums, to all the conflicts, um, being shot, being on trial for things, like all of that was just five years, which, you know, when I tell students that I'm like, you know, Drake has been around for almost three times as long as Tupac ever was like, you know, trying to put it in perspective. It's just like, it's wild how intense, uh, how intense his, his, his short life was. Um, but yeah, he, uh, the, yeah, that certainly he's an East Coast guy who um, really respected the East Coast a lot uh, up mm-hmm. until up until he felt that um, New York artists specifically were um, trying to set him up to um, to be killed. Essentially, um, he got shot at, outside of a studio and right. um, blamed Notorious Big for um, being a part of it. Uh, just so happened Notorious B.I.G. released a song. This is before his big debut album, but released a song called who shot you and um that was interpreted as like um uh, almost like poking fun at the fact that that mm-hmm. he had tupac shot up but um yeah most folks he... agree that it was recorded before tupac was even shot and it had nothing to do with that but right yeah they they had been friends they they've got they've got music together they they were on yeah. um, a track together and um it was all good until until it wasn't yeah, it, it was, wasn't there like a robbery in the lobby of the studio yeah. or something? And then Tupac got shot a couple times during that. Yeah, yeah. And um, Notorious Big and um, Sean Combs were upstairs in a studio. Right. And um, Tupac, his his side of the story is that he, uh, um, that when they came down the elevator, that mm-hmm. like, they were they had a look on them that suggested that they were kind of surprised that he survived and that they were worried about the fact that he had survived and um there's you know uh sean combs and well, you know p diddy and uh notorious big seem to have changed their story a couple times but uh-huh. there's no consensus on exactly what it was or who did it uh-huh. i never believed that like uh diddy or uh biggie had anything to do with it i thought maybe they knew who did it and just like decided to stay out of it but um there's never been consensus about that there's consensus about who killed tupac in vegas um but there's not really consensus about um 
really whether or not Notorious Big ever had any like real ill will um, towards Tupac. Now, also, I mean, Tupac is working with Death Row out in the West Coast. So that's Suge Knight, right? Eventually, because after when he got shot and when he was uh, escorted, when he was on a stretcher being taken out of um, Quad Studios or the basement of Quad Studios. And that's Mm -hmm. when he saw Tupac, uh, when he saw um, P. Diddy and and Notorious Big Uh standing there looking looking like they're suspicious or something. Um, the next day he appeared in court for a sexual assault case and then he got sent to Clinton Correctional Facility upstate. So um, he went to prison and then that's he was in prison when uh, Me Against the World came out, which is my favorite, one of my mm-hmm. favorite rap albums of all time, my favorite Tupac album for sure. Mm-hmm. And then while he was in prison, um, he got recruited by Death Row, by oh, uh, okay. Knight specifically. So as soon as he got out of prison, um, he was he he was fully fully focused on um revenge and, and rivalry with um notorious big and death row records was just like the freaking it was a perfect place for him to be for that but right. um to me it was just the most unfortunate place for him to be because he certainly didn't have people around him not there at least uh who were willing to uh talk sense to him and and keep him on a healthy steady track and at that time he's what in his early 20s mid 20s like early 20s i think he's yeah. like 25 or 26 when he gets killed and that's that's Damn. you know about a year or two in yeah you know he's yeah him and notorious uh big mm-hmm. they were both killed they were just 25 and in my head they're like so grown because i was like right. young at the time but thinking right. back i'm like man these are some kids man like i know 25 grown adult but like man just so 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 young i mean we met when I was 27, so I assume you were. I, I, I you yeah, haven't I'm aged what, a since year I met you. So, <laughs> yeah. um, if we met what like uh, 2005, so yeah, I was 20. Yeah. I was 25. Yeah, okay. yeah so I was two so, box age. Yeah, I was just a baby. Feels so long ago. <laughs> Ed, you would have loved his wardrobe. You guys actually dress very similarly. He, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, lots of ties, lots of. Uh, I'm the only one left at my school site that ever wears a tie. Wow. And I don't yeah. do it every day, but you yeah. know, a couple a couple times a week. Yeah, I don't. Same. I don't. I still, as yeah. soon as I, because <laughs> when we first met, I was still just wearing button down shirts. But uh, once COVID hit, I don't fit in those anymore, and I'm not about to buy more. I think COVID <laughs> changed everything for. I think that's when the last of the like you know quote unquote professional type uh yeah dressing teachers at my school site. I think COVID was like that was it. Yeah, y'all are a dying breed. Uh, <laughs> I. I, I lent somebody a tie and he's like, oh, do you need it back? I'm like, I don't anticipate needing it back ever. <laughs> like, you're welcome <laughs> to keep it. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm t-shirt and jeans now because that's what fits. So. Yeah. It's comfortable. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay. So uh, it, this, this, you know, I graduated in 96. So he gets, he gets killed in, in my, my senior, senior year. year. Yeah. Um, and Biggie also gets killed within a year of that, right? Yeah, yeah, he gets yeah. killed March 9th. Um so yeah, Tupac gets killed in September and that next March is when uh okay. Biggie got killed. So that that occupies a huge spot in my brain. Just, you know, um goddamn 95 96. I mean that's that's a hell of a year. Um but uh so they 
yeah that that occupies a huge spot in my brain so pardon me for fixating on this but also like the media like you said it was a lot of media hype about it like it feels like if if it was not reported on the way that it was as that this was and you know MTV did this as well um but uh you know if 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 it was not as hyped up in the media then it could have had a chance to have gotten settled or gone away I agree a thousand percent. Uh, Vibe magazine was like the big magazine at the time. It was okay. Vibe and, and The Source. The Source was specifically just rap music, but Vibe magazine, uh, founded by Quincy Jones, or at least in part by Quincy Jones, was <laughs> rap and R&B. But they, both of them, just had issue after issue, special <laughs> issue, special issue, featuring like the West Coast perspective and then... You know something in the interview that's like just in the east coast and then there comes an east coast issue and it was a back and forth that was just like just so 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 hyped up and the mm -hmm. thing about it is and you know obviously looking back on it uh you know folks could see and i think most folks would agree that the the conflict between tupac and uh biggie had not like literally nothing to do with geography it had nothing to do with the actual east coast or right. West Coast, anything. It was a personal beef. And like you said, like Tupac was from the East Coast originally. Like he, right. you know, on, on that Me Against the World album that came out while he was in prison, he has a song called Old School. And it's all just giving love and flowers to old school hip hop artists and the originators. And it was all like East Coast stuff. It was like just a loving tribute to the history of rap up until that point. So this East Coast, West Coast stuff. But then, you know, folks capitalized, you know, artists sure. from both coasts jumped in with their uh, hurling their slander, you know, uh, Snoop Dogg and the Dog Pound that had had a video, had a song called New York, New York. And in the video, mm -hmm. Snoop Dogg is literally like he's like a giant, like almost like a Godzilla stomping through New York. And he's literally kicking down skyscrapers in New York. So it's just like, well, shit, man, like that's not helping. So, yeah, it got it got right. way out of hand man. it got way out of hand. And as somebody who's not really claimed anywhere that he's ever lived, it's to me, oh, look, he's destroying a city. But like to New Yorkers, that's our town. You know, that's, yeah, that's so disrespectful. Yeah, wow. <laughs> that's I, I can't imagine being mad that somebody like, you know, took a dump on the, the Tower Street Bridge. You know, I'd be like, oh, no, there's, you know, but again, that's it's I don't I don't claim this place. Yeah, uh, and then well, and yeah. there's flare-ups in person too so like at really? the source awards at like all the different like you know televised awards mm -hmm. uh the source awards specifically um you know when death row um one of them i forget who i might have been dr Trey, somebody won some award and then the whole death row entourage went up there and and suge knight who was the founder of death row records and executive producer of everything mm -hmm. he was you know he was basically saying to the whole crowd like if anybody wants to um uh, is tired of your producers jumping in your videos, doing this and that. And he was talking about Puffy and how uh, P Diddy was like always mm -hmm. making it about him. He was like, you know, come to death row, this and that. And it was just a real in your face, like, you know, tr trash, trash in the East coast, trash and specifically bad boy records, which is the record label that um, Biggie was mm -hmm. on. And so there's a lot of in-person, like behind the scenes, you know, behind uh, the stage fights or almost fights. And it was just a, it was just really ignorant for no reason. Okay. I'm glad cell phones didn't exist back then. I can't imagine what kind of a cell phone footage, social media <laughs> craziness would oh, have God. we'd have of imagine all that stuff. the TikTok atmosphere. Oh god. Or that like Oh yeah. man. Yeah, the comment sections and all that. It it would have been Yeah. Okay. So 
I'm trying to I'm trying to piece this together. So you said that Tubac uh had been the one that Dan Quayle uh specifically had called out at a time where he's giving all the love and talking about all the unity. Yeah. He yeah. he he goes upstate, um, he's uh for for sexual assault. Uh he comes out and like you said, he's completely focused on revenge. Um that's clearly a shift, right? Like did his music shift as well? Kind of. Um certainly the his his album that came out after prison, um, All Eyes on Me, which was a double C D, which was mm-hmm. like a big deal at okay. the time. Um definitely had some like uh, aggression on it for sure. Uh-huh. Um, but it also had like just, you know, some of his more just regular like party type music. Um and some some a few songs that were, you know, quote unquote uh had social meanings to them. But then he would drop like really fiery diss tracks the most fiery which i hate but like it's it's a hit song and people you know sure. even my students love it um hit uh hit him up and in it like he takes a, a beat that notorious big's uh protege group was on uh mm-hmm. for a song called uh by junior mafia called um get money he takes that same beat and um basically just destroys just just destroys um biggie smalls saying i slept with your wife you're fat you're this you're that it's like extremely explicit extremely vulgar mm-hmm. the music video they have like uh, actors portraying um biggie and and um puff daddy and mm-hmm. it's just like a. I think in the video like there's even a scene where he like you know um he busts into their office and they're all scared of him thinking that two boss you know thinking that Tupac's going to kill them. And he reaches in his arm and he takes something out. It's just like a lighter. He's like, why are you so scared? It was just all this like, sure. Oh, it was bad, man. But it was a hit song. People right. love it. And I just, right. I hate that song because it reminds me of my favorite artist when I was that age being killed. Like I remember that I, there was no coming back after that. You don't do that to somebody. And it, it, he didn't even get killed by uh, East Coast folks anyways. But I just felt like it was inevitable that this was going to end bad. So he gets killed in Vegas. Yep. Okay. Um, we and you said it, it's agreed upon who killed him. Yeah, pretty, okay. uh, pretty much agreed upon, and it's one of those, um, you know, there's conspiracy theories about who might have put him up to it, but sure. it's pretty freaking obvious. Um, so there's a Tyson fight, and there's surveillance footage showing uh, Tupac and his whole entourage. There's a in the lobby of the MGM, there's a um, a local a Los Angeles um, gang member there, Southside Crip, which is important because Death Row Records, um, Suge Knight, and a lot of the folks there were more closely associated with the Bloods. Mm-hmm. And this Crip, they had some existing beef. Anyways, they see him in the lobby, and Tupac himself and his whole entourage beat his ass, like right there on the lobby, stomp him, and just leave him there uh just a mess in the lobby and wow. a couple hours later that same night a car pulls up and uh shoots into um the car that that tupac was riding in with uh should knight in it and um pretty much everybody agrees that orlando was at least one of the people in the car and okay. it's like pretty freaking obvious you beat down somebody when they're by themselves, but they're not actually by themselves because they are a crip and they got people. Of course, he's going to spend the whole rest of the night trying to find you. Right. Like that's just basic. So, so there's, you know, there isn't much dispute there, but there is dispute about 
whether or not he was actually paid by Puffy or whether or not that's like a, you know, false flag situation where it really was something else. But the Orlando thing, because Orlando ended up being killed. He, he himself uh, got killed not long after that. Um, oh, wow. So, yeah. Okay. So it, it's. Wow. And so Suge Knight was in the car. Uh... Yeah, he was driving and the um, the shooters pulled up on. Tupac side on the passenger side and shot into it. So I remember growing up and people speculating like, oh, Suge Knight was behind it because Tupac wanted to leave Death Row because Tupac knew that, you know, he was, right. uh, Suge Knight was robbing him. Suge Knight was notoriously terrible in terms of taking care of his artists and this and that. But I'm like, right. man, he's not going to be in the driver's seat and trust somebody else to shoot. Like, sure. generally speaking, gang members aren't very good marksmen and right. no one's going to trust <laughs> their, their freaking life. Uh, something like that but um yeah, yeah of course nobody well, was ever arrested because nobody talks so well, yeah. and, and wasn't suge knight hit in the in he in was grazed shooting? yeah okay. yeah um grazed in the head um yeah so yeah it was yeah i'm like he wasn't behind it but there is a part uh it's there's the album that came out the first album that came out after tupac got killed uh machiavelli the seven day theory and it came out right after he died obviously uh -huh. he recorded it ahead of time and you know the seven day theory and between him getting shot and him dying was like mm -hmm. seven days and when you play the album the very first uh intro there's like crowd noise because it's like a crowd walking and stuff and then like a news report starts or whatever and in that crowd noise you hear someone very clearly say suge shot me it's like clear as day suge shot me Shook. like it's clear as oh, day wow. so like as a young person like we were all like in the cafeteria, like you heard that, you heard that. Like he he knew it was, he was going to get shot. He knew this and that. Or like a producer is sure. trying to tell us that it was should. Um, and years later, like the original sample that was sampled from some movie or something. It was just crowd noise in some movie from like the eighties, okay. and you hear it there too. So right. it's like oh, okay, they didn't put that in there. That that's been there since like the eighties. It's the hip hop. Paul is dead. Like yeah. So on the Beatles, if you mm -hmm. uh, if you play certain tracks slowed down, backwards, sideways, looking at the east when the sun is setting, <laughs> with a lamprey eel between your toes, you can hear it very clearly say Paul is dead. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, it's it's okay. So so that happens. That absolutely seizes everybody's imagination. Probably all yeah. the pearls get clutched amongst uh, the the white liberal intelligentsia. And the conservative intelligentsia just said, see, I told you so. Um, and then, like you said, in March, uh, Biggie gets killed. Um, is he killed as a clear revenge thing? Or is it also, this is also a possible local gang beef uh, that that blows up? No, it, it was pretty obvious. And no one's ever been arrested or anything like that. But it, he was killed in L.A., he had oh. been warned by people not to come to L.A. He had a song called Going Back to Cali. And uh -huh. it essentially was saying, like, they love me out there. Like, it was essentially him, you know, bless his heart. But him thinking that, like, you know, folks see that it wasn't really, like, the thing between me and Tupac wasn't really mm -hmm. what it was hyped up to be. Like, I'm just, I'm, I, you know, because he he never released any kind of a direct uh, distance to Tupac or anything like that. So, uh -huh. so, so he was out here um promoting his new album he was at uh after party for the vibe awards so you know there's the source and there's vibe again and uh -huh. um after party for the vibe awards which was at the peterson automotive museum wilshire and fairfax um 
anybody in LA knows that intersection. And um, it's near Cedar Sinai, which is where they took him after he got shot. And um, yeah, uh, he was in the car. He was in their SUV waiting mm -hmm. for whatever. And uh, someone pulled up and shot into the car and killed him uh, March 9th, 1990, what, 1997. Oh, um, okay. September 96 was Tupac. And then March okay. of the next year was, um, was Biggie. And um, Nobody's ever been arrested and there weren't even any real leads or anything for like dozens of years. But more recently, in the last like 10 years, a lot of mm -hmm. folks have um, been able to connect some dots between some off duty LAPD folks who are working for Suge Knight. It doesn't help that like that was the the time of for anyone familiar with the Rampart scandal, which is what mm -hmm. the movie Training Day is loosely based on. Just yeah. like out of pocket, terrible, terrible, just incredibly criminal policing and uh some of those same folks being uh, you know making money on the side working for suge knight and whoever the hell had money to pay um wow. but well, being directly still... being themselves directly tied to the crips right and not uh, the bloods i should say yeah yeah so, i remember right yeah yeah so like you know it seems just like the who shot Tupac? It seems pretty obvious like it doesn't take a genius to figure out like you stomp somebody out in a in a a hotel room a violent person they're gonna inflict or try to inflict violence back right. for biggie like you know um you're in the west coast and all these criminal elements mm -hmm. still hate you and whether or not you had anything to do with tupac they're not just gonna let you be out here celebrating and partying out after a award show so um so yeah that looks like what did him in and just so and then of course after the fact afterwards and everybody's like you know, the, how how do we let it get out of hand? Um, you know, all this coming together at award shows. I think it was the MTV Music Awards where uh, Biggie and Tupac's mothers uh, joined together to, you know, um, to visually represent a coming together and peace and all that stuff. But it's like, it's just sad because like you could see it happen. I was a kid. I, I, mm -hmm. I was a kid. I was a teenager at the time. But like you could see it unfold. And Tupac rapped about it all the time about him knowing he's going to die young. And he had a music video come out right after he died for um uh for a song where like the opening scene he's outside he's coming out of a movie theater with Pokeen Woodbine the actor and they're like laughing and stuff and someone comes up and shoots and kills Tupac and the whole music video he's rapping from heaven and that came out after he was killed like within a month after he was killed I ain't mad at you is the song um so it's just like we all saw this coming man and that that just right. makes it that much more tragic especially for me I I, I love Tupac I love Biggie too both of them right. and it was just like what the hell like where else does this happen in music you know in that kind of way it was just very um I was, yeah, I'm still upset about it. I'm still upset about it. Yeah, no, yeah, totally fair and yeah, valid. That's meaningful. Yeah, I'm in no way is this meant to trivialize or minimize it. Um, I genuinely am relating to it. Um, I'm still mad that that the Montreal screw job happened in '97. Um, and uh, that's just you know that that's uh, Bret Hart got screwed out of the title and Shawn Michaels. Uh, you know, was a part of it, and and the the whole thing that happened, it still bothers me because those two were my two favorite guys, mm -hmm. and their rivalry was amazing, and they told beautiful stories, and Brett absolutely got screwed, and it is a very polarizing thing uh, amongst wrestling fans. So I mm -hmm. I genuinely do get it. Like whatever your art form is, when you see two people that you have a lot of respect for as artists, and you know. 
their rivalry ends up being the undoing of at least one of them, if not both, it's it's not good. It sucks. So, um, okay. So, what what did Quincy Jones ever say about any of this? Since you said he started one of at least one of these, I mean, he's one of the the godfathers of of music in a lot of ways. Um, and what did some of the older uh, hip hop artists say about any of this? Was was there much reaction, or is it a lot more of the how to could it get to this? We need to do better, and let's move on. Yeah, it's just a lot, a lot of the how to how to get this bad. Like, come on, we you know we're better than this, this and that. And really, the the East Coast West Coast thing was all the way over after that. Like, there was no not even any hinting um, of there being any beef or rivalry because it was never really there. Like music right. artists, like I was bumping Wu Tang and Biggie, and Tupac, and E-40, all at the same time. Like, most right. folks didn't freaking care because it was manufactured. It was just, there was nothing really to it. Um, Quincy Jones, like, yeah, that's interesting. I never actually looked into if he ever said anything about it because because I know he, he founded Vibe Magazine, and that, right. that was his freaking it's media, but, like, I don't know. Making money he, off of this, so. Yeah, yeah, but, I you know, I don't know the extent to which he was involved in any kind of the editorial decisions or anything like that, but... Huh. But yeah, I have a stack of those magazines in my classroom too. A, a teacher who retired, an English teacher, she saved them all. I had a subscription at nice. the time, but I don't know where they went. But yeah, and it's sure. just like going back through them and seeing like, okay, here's the here's a Tupac issue and here's a Biggie right. issue and here's back to a death row issue. And now they're looking tough and now they're talking about this. And it's just like, what are we doing? What are we doing? Wow. And so uh, I, I mentioned Quincy. I'm actually going to also bring up. So at this time... Will Smith is huge in the movies too. Yeah. And so you were talking before about, you know, the difference between rap and hip hop in many ways, like he is mainstreaming and a sanitized aspect of hip hop into feature films and making hand over fist money. I think four years in a row, he was the top draw at the box office. Yeah. Um, and he's, I want to say, connected. yeah to quincy jones and wasn't he i want to say i think he was on stage when um biggie and tupac's mothers came together i want to say um that, it was will was smith it. who was like the you know the MC whatever yeah unless i don't i'm pretty i'm like 99 sure it was will smith who was up there with them um and then later will smith you know he he goes back into music and you know uh getting jiggy with it and right. um going to Switch. miami and all that and he yeah. um Famously, he got a Grammy and he was like, you know, I don't have to curse in my rhymes to sell records. Um, right. Almost like, you know, shaming these young kids for being so violent and look what it did to Tupac and, and Biggie and um, uh, respectability you know, politics too, like big time. Oh, hey, yeah. Look, I'm I'm acceptable to to white America. Um, yeah. So uh, actually, I uh, want to go back. We did an episode on Ace of Base uh, because. Mm -hmm. As it turns out, there are some seriously weird connections to white supremacy with Ace of Base. Wow. Um, yeah. And and one of the reasons that uh, Swedish pop music got so big was because Boys to Men was so big. Um, hmm. be Because you had these men who could all sing so incredibly well, who were very handsome and very sexy, and suburban white girls would have posters of them in their room and that was really, really weird for suburban white parents to the point where suddenly synth music or uh, not synth, um, uh, Swedish pop music comes over 
Um, and the girls are putting up those posters instead. And the parents are just like, oh, thank God. Uh, and uh, so I want to just reach back and grab Boys to Men as well because they're early 90s. Yeah. Um, and then I think that can take us through to um, beyond uh, the, the manufactured beef. Um, but uh, so you've got Boys to Men who are doing huge business crossing over, which is mm-hmm. kind of the, my, my point, I guess, is that you have hip hop crossing over into and in a way through them specifically, but uh, in, in a way that not even Will Smith was doing crossing over into being pop music and it brought forth a lot of R&B stuff with it too uh and and so are there other it, it feels like and by that time I guess MTV is is very much legitimizing uh hip hop and rap by expanding their catalog to having full on not just yo MTV raps now now it's it's showing up in the top 40 type stuff and and things like that so we're seeing that happening through the early 90s as well. Is there a homogenization of it or does it stay pretty uh, true to itself and pretty authentic in in crossing over into pop? Oh, no, it definitely loses a lot of authenticity. That's when you get yeah. the beginnings of folks, um, the keep it real era, um, which is a phrase you would hear a million times over from folks claiming to be the authentic and to keep it real versus the um, folks who are going the pop route or um, selling out to to sell more records. And yeah, uh, as far as the crossover with like, you know, boys to men, but like R&B generally, like there was a whole lot of that in, in an authentic ways. I mean, Mary J. Bly, she, you know, she's oftentimes referred to as like the queen of hip hop, hip hop and R&B, mm-hmm. um, even though she's not like a rapper. Um, SWV, Sisters with Voices, a whole a whole host of groups at the time who were like, you know, uh, enmeshed in, in with um, uh, rap music for sure. PLC um, to an extent. On, on yeah, that yeah, 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 exactly. A whole, whole lot. So, um, so yeah, no, that, and that's, that's always been there. And actually after Tupac died, there was like a, almost like a, a rush by record labels to try to find like the Tupac replacement, like who's going to like be that figure. And um, for, at first, you know, one of the folks who who kind of showed up, who kind of like had in the same imagery kind of of of, of Tupac was Ja Rule, but of course Ja Rule sang a lot, and um, you know all of his biggest hits, uh, just a lot of singing, a lot of a crossover, and then eventually uh, when Fifty Cent comes around, it goes back to this like Fifty Cent's the hard one, the the gangster one, the one that's been shot nine times, and the one right. that's from the streets. And Ja Rule's over here singing, and he was always making fun of Ja Rule for singing, 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 and that pretty much ended Ja Rule's career. So it kind of went back to that wow. almost the '80s, like Run DMC type, like Nah, we Shut coming down. out here, we tough, and all that jazzy stuff. Get out of here with it. And it, it, the Fifty Cent and Ja Rule thing kind of brought that back. And then after Ja Rule was out of the out of the way, Fifty Cent started singing a hell of a lot. A lot of his biggest <laughs> hits were him singing on the hooks. It was just a oh wow, the hypocrisy was crazy but yeah okay okay so that takes us through the into the late 90s what's uh what's happening there because at this point you you have the (laughs) uh we did a a deep space nine episode did you ever watch star trek deep space nine i believe i watched one or two episodes of it was that the one where they got lost like hella far away no, no, that's, no Voyager. that's Voyager. Yeah. That's Voyager. Yeah. So, so no. Star Trek Deep Space Nine is uh, it's set on a space space station, um, at the intersection of like three different cultures, 
But because it's on a space station, the plot kind of has to come to them, which mm. means that for the first time you have a Star Trek series that has an overarching plot, mm. which is really a, a different thing. Because most of the time Star Trek was bottle episodes like this week, they're going right. there and you could deal with archetypes, but you didn't have character development. Deep Space Nine had character development, and uh, it's it's this interesting little secret that like one of the most um, positive representations of Black fatherhood was on Deep Space Nine. Mm-hmm. Avery Brooks and uh, Sirach Laughlin uh, or Lofton um, played a father and son uh, who the father was in charge of of the space station, and you know how much he loved, and he was he's a grieving widower. And then he dives into his job and then he falls back in love. And the whole time he's got his son with him. And it's just this, this incredible relationship that they depict on screen. Um, and it's very, very, uh, it, it, I just, I really love it just as a dad. Like I, I love it, but also it has the overlay of like everybody at that time was, you know, very critical of like, you know, there's no positive dads on, on TV for black America. And I'm like, yo, it's, it's right there. Um, but they had this well, episode. But it's, but it's science fiction. It doesn't count. Right, right. Uh, but they had this episode uh, called the Gabriel Bell Riots. Uh, I, I forget the actual thing. We did a we did a watch along with it, and basically they go back to 2024. Um, and in 2024, uh, they go to San Francisco, and uh, they find um, they they accidentally go back to 2024. And uh, they're right in the middle of like the biggest riots that have ever happened. And it actually is the thing that kicks off the uh, the the utopia that Star Trek becomes. Um, and they're called the Gabriel Bell riots because they're named after a guy who gets killed by the police in these riots where uh, and it, it's it's very ham fested in some uh, on some levels. But they're basically like they're asking, how could it have ever gotten to this? I can't you know, I read about this in the textbooks, but how? And they said, well, you know, you've got these these political leaders that don't care. You've got an overworked uh, social network or a safety network that doesn't work and and all this kinds of stuff. Um, anyway, it it's written by I, I encourage you to, to check out Deep Space Nine. It's fantastic TV after the first season. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, and, and then it starts really just kicking ass. Um, but uh, that particular episode happens as a result of the writers driving through Santa Monica um, and seeing just enormous homelessness in 1993, 1994. Mm. And yet at the same time, you're seeing NAFTA starting to kick in. You're seeing the promise of Clintonian uh, economics um, really taking off and the economy is doing a lot better. And yet there's so many people that are getting left behind and kicked out. Um, and so, I mean, we're, we're seeing this happen. So by 97, 98, the economy is rolling as hard as it's ever rolled. It's going really, really well. If you're already in a position to, to benefit what's happening musically, uh, by that point, what's, what's happening that's new, what, what are people responding to and what's generating? Yeah, really, um, regionally like this is um late 90s is when the south really really i'm and honestly one could argue took the lead and they still have it now in terms of um hip-hop creators and and what's hot so much of it comes out of the south so you know late 90s of course outcast by then already multi-platinum 
right. group. But then you had um, folks coming out of New Orleans and um, Juvenile, who nobody outside of the South had heard of before, uh, releases a song called Ha, H-A. And um, he's recording live in the Magnolia Projects, man. And you're seeing the 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 conditions down south that like for so long we we were we were always hearing about like LA and Brooklyn and you know these tough areas but you're seeing like what it looks like in freaking right. New Orleans and just um um what folks are doing to survive down there but yeah this the southern sound really takes over and continues to to really take the lead but then also you get I mean you get Eminem um who I think to this day is still the top selling uh, rap artist ever. And yeah, you get, you just get so much really big, like million dollar releases. Uh, right. I'm sorry, million re- uh, people selling million, million records left and right. Gold, um, gold basically. Because yeah, yeah, that's the total request live era and so many rap songs, uh, so many rap videos coming out up at the top. And and yeah, really just making huge amounts of money, but to get that critical consciousness, to get that um, that voice about like this, the inequities in our system and the challenge of finding peace and healing and freedom dreaming, you got to go to quote unquote underground hip hop, which was not playing on the radio stations, which was not on MTV. And, you know, artists like Most Def and Talib Kweli, uh, who formed Black Star, artists like Common. Um, they had their own little niche and for mm-hmm. a while a lot of those artists came together and called themselves the soul Quarians, which is a name I always hated uh, but they sort of represented that like okay we're not we're not rapping about jewels because this was the it became the bling bling era oh um, that's uh diddy right uh bling bling was daddy. uh well no it was uh he was benjamin's all about the benjamin's baby oh, right, um, right, right. Yeah, bling yeah. bling was um um cash money records uh bg and little wayne um and but then, there, it's it's that hey look we're very rich we have shiny suits yes now. yeah oh right. yes yeah yeah yeah, yeah 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 absolutely um so you know you had to go to quote unquote underground hip-hop and it was underground in the sense that it wasn't on mainstream uh-huh. um platforms really at all um to get a sense of like there being something else besides money and riches and especially uh, to all the points you just said about um the economic struggles of folks who who weren't already doing well Mm-hmm. Like it was important to to see that, like, okay, so yeah. I don't have freaking stacks of hundred dollar bills to like make it rain in the club, and that's when you know all those old corny ass phrases that I hated uh, right. came around. Um, but yeah, hip hop was big enough, massive enough that you could find, and still to this day, um, whatever you really need from it, you could find it because now and at that time. There was just so many artists and especially as the technology started to change and you didn't need to be signed to a major record label to be able to go into a studio and make music. So you um, had sharing devices, too. You had um, LimeWire. You had yeah, uh, Napster and Napster everything that came that after one. that. That yeah. had to help a lot, right? Like now you help me a lot. <laughs> I was gonna say now you can be here and like you, you could be like, OK, I can listen to music from Vallejo or I could listen to music from. You know, I don't know, uh, bumfuck Florida, and yeah. uh, or which is uh, that's an unincorporated area. I'm sorry, bumfuck <laughs> Heights, uh, which is the city. Um, but uh, but you can like find a band, and their whole catalog is right there for you. So that's yeah, like you said, that's the underground stuff. Yeah, 
No, absolutely. Is, is there is there a correlation between areas with I'm going to say cuz I'm I'm thinking Atlanta, I'm mm-hmm. thinking New York. Um I don't know much, enough about Houston. Houston doesn't seem to to ping on my radar. But Atlanta, New York, maybe Nashville, these are places where you have a lot of money just constantly going through there. Do you find that the the hip hop there is more about the stacks of Benjamins, the the making it rain, the party type thing? Miami, I I, I would put in that category maybe, um, compared to Houston, um, New Orleans, Detroit, those being more about raising a consciousness, or is that am I drawing patterns that don't actually exist? That's a great question. I don't know that those patterns exist as far as like the drawing a consciousness part, but maybe when I'm trying to think of who was really on some like, you know, we got pop of bottles in the club type music. Those were the cities, the first cities you mentioned, Atlanta, uh-huh. Miami. Um, when I think of Detroit hip hop or Chicago hip hop or Bay Area hip hop, it was right. much less of that. Um, right. Way less of that. But it wasn't necessarily necessarily, you know, Conscious, I mean, that would be in there as well, but more, you know, struggle music, like struggle uh, music is trying to make it. To put it. Yeah. yeah. Like, like uh, I'm thinking of Eminem's voice specifically being so fucking angry. Um, but yeah. at the same time, touching a chord in people mm-hmm. and, yeah. and the cleverness that, you know, his wordplay and, and stuff like that. But like, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't say that he's raising consciousness in any way. He's going back yeah. to the sur- super sperm stuff and then just turning that up to 11 in a lot of ways just but he's letting folks yeah and he's letting folks know maybe not as much through the singles right. um but which he has said himself he hated hates performing because like really um like that his first like hit single who am i he's like um he yeah he, he said he hates that song i saw him i think it was 99 the up and smoke tour with dr dre and a bunch of west coast folks uh-huh. he was like i hate this fucking song and it just so stands out from the rest of the album because it's, it's clearly uh, an attempt to be a pop song and it worked uh-huh. really well um my name is what's what i said i forget if i who am called I, it right. yeah. yeah yeah i said who yeah. i meant uh my name is oh, hi okay. my name is slim shady um right but the rest of his music was like clearly dealing with what at the time we weren't really calling um trauma or um uh-huh. mental challenges mental uh health struggles but that's what it was it was like yeah. grimy traumatic upbringing traumatic right. life around him not knowing what to do about it, not knowing how to process it, turning to drugs, turning to violence, turning to abuse between him and his uh, the mother of his child, and yeah, um, yeah. clearly, clearly uh, struggling mentally. And that's before I think a lot of folks you know, who listen to the music would have the language for like mental health challenges or dealing with sure. depression, anxiety, and trauma, and um, trying to process one's trauma. But that's exactly what he was doing on, on most of those records. And that at tracks, I mean, Ed and I have done a number of things about this, about the late 1990s, and that tracks with the late 90s of, like, it's going good. What's your problem? And, like, yeah. it's not going good here. Like, well, you know, unemployment is so low. Not in my house, it's not, you know? And, and Well, and, and even if you're working, you're working in a, you know, low-end service sector job, and you're right. having to having to bust your ass to pay the bills because you know yeah everybody's employed but look at the look at the economic distribution graph right 
and you know wages haven't increased since fucking reagan so right but productivity has doubled and you're yeah, like wait a minute yeah. <laughs> like, we, <laughs> we could working. all be working four hour days then can't we yeah like, like what the hell yeah, yeah. so okay so the struggle I, I guess a struggle in the face of oh what an interesting pairing you've got that struggle and then you've got the you know i i uh, popping popping bottles yeah. as you said um so you've got those occurring at the same time which again makes a lot of sense for the late 90s uh, then something happens in 2001. I forget exactly what. I think it, um, Dana Carvey released a movie. Is that what it was? Sharks at, at the beaches. There's a lot of sharks showing up that's at the beaches. Right. That's, there that's that true. 13 year old girl who got her arm bitten off uh, yeah. who yeah. has now spoken out against transgender individuals. What? I okay. might be thinking of another one armed gal from Australia, to be perfectly honest. I don't know. Um, okay. But... So um, why do you always go to the Dana Carvey movie? when we all know what it is you're actually like it's specifically the fact that you go to the dana carvey movie that because, just drives me fucking crazy why why that uh because um they were actually filming it at that time like when that happened the announcement came through and they all had like a moment of silence and then it was like all right back to work here we go like it's just such a weird like why did you have a moment of silence then like this is just the weirdest shit to me like it just okay it it absolutely captured my imagination. Okay. Um, yeah, I I Fair. would love to All find right. what was released on that day and start calling that the great national tragedy. Just because. Yeah. But okay. anyway, okay. So nine eleven happens. Uh, no, actually, no. Bush steals an election. Um, and uh, <laughs> yeah, let's yeah, let's, let's rewind a little, a little bit. Yeah. Um, and uh, the Republicans get their wish of of getting uh you know the the white house again um and you've got conservative uh, compassionate conservatism uh which is just you know uh, smiling as they cut your benefits um and then 9-11 happens yeah and then the unending war like what is that doing uh, that's that's three body blows in a row um for a lot of families and for many it's actually it's it's actually just the same like <laughs> these economic policies continue to enrich people and they continue to impoverish uh people like you don't really see that shift until his tax cuts come through for a couple of years but what's happening uh turn of the century turn of the millennium yeah honestly it's um a little bit disappointing that as far as the really big platform artists mm -hmm. um you know early 2000s like the biggest rap artists were jay-z hands down uh mm -hmm. as the biggest but eminem up there um, I mean, Eminem probably sales wise bigger, but in terms of uh, influence on the on the culture and the industry, Jay Z. But Jay Z, Eminem, uh, Fifty Cent. Mm -hmm. um, there wasn't a lot of like Iraq would come up or George Bush would come up in like particular lines, but there wasn't a lot of movement music um, from the really big platform artists in terms of you know when you think about Vietnam and you think about how you know how the music was was dealing with vietnam it's like you could yeah. think of all these different tracks it was like momentous but for iraq and george bush um i can't say the same not not as i don't i don't think that's, it's unique to hip-hop either I, it's, no, it's almost that's, like that's true you know, in in punk we saw the same thing you saw you saw a lot of fracturing around that time based on what our guest taught us you saw a lot of fracturing at that time you saw a lot of diving inward and just kind of like I guess we're going to do the best we can around here. Um, and like what you just said with Jay-Z, I mean, the rock aware, rock aware, 
it's almond Rockaway, roca, right? so it's got to be roca. Yeah. yeah. Um, but um, God, I want him to buy an almond farm now. Just almond roca would be. Anyway, fat guy dreams. Um, but uh, so uh, what do you call it? Um, yeah, he turns to just finding new avenues, new new pots to catch money in. Right, like that's seems seems to be most people just kind of yeah. turn inward toward that. Then and Jay Z's one of I mean the blueprint, which is one of his highest, most critically acclaimed albums, came out on September eleventh, two thousand one. And um, it introduced wow. the world to Kanye West um, in a lot of ways. Uh-huh. And um, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, it's you, again, you'd have to go to like, quote unquote, underground rap to get anyone really, really going hard at, at George Bush or the war in Iraq uh, artists like Immortal Technique, who was very revolutionary um, in terms of like politically revolutionary in his in his content of his music, mm-hmm. um, most deaf, other, others, but. But yeah, not the not the big platform stuff, and I don't know if that was uh, these the big major labels weren't trying to touch it, or the hip hop artists didn't care or weren't trying to touch it, or if everyone was just so damn disillusioned. I mean, after coming out of the '80s and '90s, it's like, well, damn. I mean, it's just wave after wave of strife. So yeah, yeah, hard to say. Yeah, I mean, I remember uh, the Dixie Chicks lost any and all yeah. chance at making money, and you know, if they're willing to yeah. do that to three blonde white women. Yeah, that sends a hell of a message. Yeah, so. um, eventually the I think it was during the 2004 election, Eminem had a song "Mosh" that was Mosh. supposed to be like a yeah, you know, and it was a perfectly fine song. And I think he performed it during Saturday Saturday Night Live, so it was a big day. Like he tried, mm-hmm. he tried to mm-hmm. make it a thing, but it kind of just came and went. And plenty of other songs too, plenty of other artists, but just all just like here and there. Not really, right. you can't really point to a, you can't An really album. point to it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I remember Mosh because it was it was unique at that time because uh, you had uh, Black Eyed Peas and um, yeah. Soundgarden or they 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 collaborated with. Um, oh, God, it wasn't Soundgarden. It was it was um, that that mega band that came together out of uh, some of the artists from. Justin Timberlake, did they have something with Justin Timberlake, too? They might have, but it was something, something it was the the. Some people from Soundgarden and some people from um, uh, Rage Against the Machine, and they made their own band. Mm. And they did a thing with Black Eyed Peas, and they did Anxiety. Oh, right. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. And I remember Anxiety compared to Mosh, and it was such an interesting representation of the spectrum of responses. Anxiety was all about literally my anxiety and it's it's coming right. down on me you know and it's it's just it's literally like naming the thing that's bothering me and then on the other side you had mosh which was calling for collective action and we hadn't seen that many calls for collective action in a very popular song um since i god i kind of want to say um mr wendell and even that wasn't collective action that was calling out the problem of homelessness so, yeah, hey, you're, well, you're muted, Ed. Audio slave. The audio band was slave. audio there slave. There you go. Thank you. God dang. Um, but At first, yeah, I you, thought Velvet Revolver, but I was like, no, I know no, it's not. No, that's no. not it. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, you had those two come out really close to each other, and then what really broke through was when Gwen Stefani decided to start going into diss tracks, 
because Holla Batgirl was that hmm. and Hey Ya were like also paired. And I'm just like, this is a really weird time to be alive musically. <laughs> yeah. I love yeah. how you say musically. Yeah. 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 No, everything else is perfectly normal. Yeah. Uh, so, all right. What's so, interesting, yeah. the, just to go back to Mosh real quick, what's interesting that it, it seems like that would have been the perfect uh, call to action because it was a white artist. Yep. And in the top of his career, yep. Saturday Night Live, huge platform. And it was the election. And after everything that Bush did or failed to do during his yeah. first term, it just seemed like like this is all this has like has to be kicked out. Like this is all right. But none of that could top the Swift Boat campaign. Like, nope. <laughs> nah, man. So yeah. it just failed to really materialize into anything. Yeah. Um, that really stuck. And it was just like, wow, man, if Eminem can't convince y'all, then I don't know what to tell you, man, because another four years after that at that same time uh switch by will smith had come out too which is mm. a club a club bumping along song you know it, it's yeah it's, it's clubbing was very big that was the big clubbing era i mean yeah. clubs are obviously big now but in terms of musically like i mean yeah we be clubbing ice cube um right. in the club 50 cent like it was all about being in the club partying yeah. spending money and not being worried about all of the very, very, very major things happening in the world in the 2000s. <laughs> yeah, no, that's now that I'm thinking about it, like uh, it's getting hot in here. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and then um, the one where he, he tells you the layout of the room because like the carpet goes from the window to the walls. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's hot in that one. Yeah. Sweat yeah. dripping. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and it's a shame because your chandeliers, you're going to have to repolish them uh yeah it's it's a damn shame but yeah like you're right it's it's that's got to be like the the apex for the atlanta scene then oh yeah in the miami yeah. scene so yeah because that sound was the sound so then other artists from other regions picked it up so oh, okay. um you know uh e40 uh got right. together with uh little john um right. and yeah that everywhere yeah yeah yeah, yeah he, he he absolutely was and yeah. um and then that kind of transitioned and not transitioned, but then, mm -hmm. then auto tune came in with um, T-Pain and then it's oh, just, right. it was all partying, all auto tuning and all, mm -hmm. as far as the, the big selling mainstream stuff that you would hear on the radio, right. because still a lot of folks listen to the radio because streaming wasn't what it is now right. and see on TV because still a lot of folks got their media from TV because, yeah. yeah. you know, social media and YouTube weren't what they are now so right. we don't um, have streaming yet in, in yeah. any major like major way it was all right. streaming of like indie stuff so right yeah. yeah and i so uh you and i uh both i mean all three of us actually have hailed from uh roughly this area do you remember there was a radio station 100.5 and it advertised itself as it was a top 40 station and it advertised itself as today's hit pop music but without the rap oh i don't remember that and then you hear mm -hmm. this this gal on there going ew i hate rap like yeah. that was their tag and i was like well that's uh that's kind of shitty ain't it yeah yeah <laughs> and uh and and what that immediately makes me wonder about is you know since then mm -hmm. pop has become semi-countryfied and I can rant for days about country music having become 
indistinguishable from mm. mainstream pop. Right. And I wonder, well, I don't wonder it, it, I, I, I notice, I guess that, um, there is a very strong line between the countryside of top 40 music and the hip hop side of, of top 40 music. And I, I, you know, I, I think it's, it's an unfortunate, uh, reflection of, of the attitudes of, I think mostly the people who were listening to country. I don't disagree. I mean, I, you know. I, when you mentioned that, I think back to the, the early nineties and I go back to the stuff, the, the gangster rap, I go yeah. back to, uh, but then I also go back to the consciousness raising stuff. Um, and, and what have you. And you remember the cross color t-shirts, Manuel, I'm sure you remember yeah. those. And do you remember the country music star who also was big on cross country t-shirts or cross color shirts, except that they were just black and white. And that's Garth Brooks. Mm -hmm. He also was using cross colors. Oh yeah. Um, and it's just, I mean, there was very much a clear, like, Hey, white people remember this music. And it's like, yeah, but now it's not singing about any of the cool shit that you used to sing about, you know, like miners on strike or like, <laughs> you know stuff yeah. that matters like it's all you know and then with bush hitting the uh the 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 ground running um and with 9-11 then you had yeah. just jingoism all day every day mm -hmm. so toby okay, keith so... i'm looking at you asshole <laughs> <laughs> mm. um so okay so it's it's uh, everybody's clubbing it's the or the mid-2000s um there's a lot of stuff happening throughout the world that we're all just absolutely ignoring. Um, and uh, Eminem cannot even get people to call to a, a collective action. Uh, the the Arlo Guthrie of his time, really. Um, and uh, you could go mosh or you could go to Alice's Restaurant. Um, but uh, so then that's 2006, 2007. Um, like you said, it, a lot of clubbing music. And then 2008 hits. And uh, everything's better. Everything changes completely. Um, you know, we we fixed it. Hooray, go us. Um, we became post-racial. Exactly. You're welcome, America. Um, there we go. And so what happened? And at that aren't point... You, aren't you the one who said yeah. you're not a liberal earlier? Like, like <laughs> yes. wait a minute. <laughs> so um, Kanye's huge at this point, right? Like oh, he yeah. and Beyonce are uh they're they're both just chugging yeah. along. And now it's is there any I, I guess there's still regional differences, but don't they kind of take over everything? Yeah, for and sure. And even Timberlake even gets in on it for at least an album. For a bit, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. And um pretty much from then on, like the regional differences start to fade away okay. quite a bit. And I, I'm sure. I'm sure that's largely due to technology. Like, you know, in the nineties, we had to have physical CDs. Right. If you didn't live in the Bay area, you weren't going to freaking get a E40 CD. Most likely. Um, really? If you lived in, wow. you know, if you lived in Nashville, maybe, but like right, you wouldn't right. know anyone who was really listening to that. Uh, so technology now it's like, you know, nothing really stays that local for that long. Not if it's good or not if right. it's appealing to people, it's going to spread pretty fast. Um, so I like yeah, that distinction too. 
Not if it's yeah. good or if it appeals to people. Help you. Yeah, I had to <laughs> throw that in there because it yeah. does definitely doesn't have to be good, but yeah. um, if it appeals, and then of course comes Drake. And um, tell me, tell me about Drake. He's Canadian, right? Yeah, yeah, he's from Toronto. Um, okay, you know, child actor. Okay. Uh, in a Canadian show, Degrassi, which was really, really big when you and I started teaching. I remember kids always talking about it, but I was really? like, I, yeah, oh yeah, kids were always talking about it. And I, I thought they were uh-huh. talking about Emerald Legacy. I thought the, the oh. chef, <laughs> I was like, well, they are really into this. And it took me so long before <laughs> oh I realized they were saying Degrassi and that was a Canadian show that I had never heard of or watched. But uh, Drake was in that show. Because growing up, there was Degrassi. Like this is the second or third iteration of it. Oh yeah, I have never heard of it. I still have never seen it. Yeah, Mad Magazine made fun of it once. Um, Oh wow! Like yeah, from like hella days ago, and I didn't watch it then either. Uh, But but okay. Uh, So so Drake. But to his credit, yeah. So when he hits the scene, um, the I mean, obviously nothing to say about his success. It's just like through the roof. I mean, he he hit the scene in two thousand eight. Okay. Um, with his first mixtape that like really really did numbers and here mm-hmm. we are you know however many years later um but to his credit he really contributed to the art in the sense of showing emotion talking about feelings talking about okay. being sad and even though there's a whole lot of braggadocio and womanizing all that stuff mixed in um, there could be no Drake in the nineties, not, not in the, not in a mainstream way. There could be no Drake. You had like the, the toxic masculinity, which mm-hmm. is still in Drake's music. Like it's in there, sure. but, um, of the nineties, that style of that, there is no way, like even the underground stuff was, it was underground for a reason. Cause it wasn't mainstream right. because it wasn't tough enough. But even then it was, it wasn't what Drake's doing, like playing voicemails of, of girls that he dated and is missing and feeling sad about like there was none of that so i i definitely think he deserves credit for showing young people that like our our emotions are full spectrum full spectrum full range and it's okay uh to admit when you're sad or admit that you've been hurt and things like that uh, i think probably more of his recent music is, is less of that but that was who he was when he broke onto the scene and that's that was his big contribution to rap aside from being a really good lyricist, but -hmm. those first um, several albums um, of his really, um, I can't think of any other rapper that was as explicitly quote unquote emotional um, as him. So um, were women in the nineties and late eighties occupying any of that space? Like, cause what you're, cause you talked about the, the, the toxic masculinity and the toughness that would have prevented that it feels like that would have also carved out a little bit of an air pocket for women to speak to those things. Cause that's a considered at that time, a feminized kind of, kind of thing. Right. Were they doing that or were they going as, as hard as they could to try to get that male audience? Yeah. And, and the, and, and as far as all the mainstream artists, it was definitely yeah. either also being tough. Okay. Or being hypersexual. So Lil uh, Kim, Foxy yeah. Brown, um so it was one or the other um yeah gotcha flat out so drake very much is innovating then uh by yeah big time yeah big time and again uh like you said drake there's also i mean kanye is i mean he's iconic in 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 his music and the the production value of what he's doing and that's 
Yeah, he, he was great at the yeah, time. It, he, it, he it needs reckoning, that, but uh, yeah, but yeah, you can't you can't deny the impact of it and the success of it. Um, yeah, and he was really a three sixty type, like in terms of the fashion part, the art part, the performance part, the actual the lyricism, together, then. bringing all these different artists together. Yeah. And it, yeah, you could definitely. I mean, he never, to my knowledge, like would really reference like. The elements of hip hop are bringing it together, but you could definitely say, like, if such a thing existed as a modern uh, representation of the 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 foundational elements of hip hop operating together, um, his like graduation era, uh-huh. um, late registration era, Kanye right. is definitely that. Like, the art was making an impact, the fashion was making an impact, right? Um, the musicality, um, all of that, the cleverness of the lyrics, the yeah. Yeah, and just the party, the yeah. bringing like so many folks, like he had so many people on his songs with him um, at the yeah. time. You know, Rihanna, T Pain, Jamie Foxx, like it was really a, a yeah. it felt like like a coming together of the community, which is sure. how hip hop started um, in those parties back then. So, so what happened to him? Man, like... I wish I knew. Man, <laughs> I wish I knew, and I don't want to put any like bad vibes out there or anything. Totally. Or disrespect anybody, but sure, sure. when I think about Tupac and how brief his stay was, uh-huh. how he never had a chance to let the fame really like go to his head and destroy him, except destroying him in terms of him uh, behaving sure. in ways that were dangerous. And I just wonder about. I think like, what if Tupac didn't die? What if he lived a long life? Because I think about Kanye, and I'm just like, man, if we could just his career wise, just like. Stop it yeah. after like, you know, right. <laughs> I don't know, maybe, maybe even, even my beautiful dark twisted fantasy, just like put a plug right there. Mm-hmm. Boom. We're good. And um, yeah, for Tupac, I kind of wonder, cause he was so hot headed and he was so just act first, think about it later that I kind of right. wonder like if he would have adjusted with the times or if he would have ended up being one of those, you know, super problematic folks. Cause yeah um kanye he, he i don't know yeah, what happened man. overripened um yeah it, it's uh what is that that quote from uh the batman movie uh i was just thinking about that yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, uh you either die young or live long enough to become the villain that uh, die, yeah, die a hero, hero or, yeah. live, or live yeah. long enough to become the villain yeah i feel like tupac biggie they died at their peaks mm-hmm. kanye has lived long enough to become the villain yeah, not I mean, saying that he shouldn't live. I'm just saying like that that arc just it got off the rails and there is no coming back. There is no coming back. I don't care what. This is America, man. We love a redemption story and we nah. love to ignore the sins once they, they've said all the right things. But yeah, I I I'm I don't disagree with you personally. Yeah. Uh but I, I just cynically I'm like, oh no, no. There's these, you know. Yeah. Andre became a face before he left the WWF. You know, and it was yeah. it was at the end of his career, and he slapped Bobby Heenan at the end of WrestleMania six. You know, and he had been a mm. heel since WrestleMania three, like, and and it was it was an important turn, but he did come back, and we let him, despite him choking Jake the Snake Roberts and and hacksaw Jim Duggan. You know, mm-hmm. so yeah, okay, go ahead, Ed. Athletic Opera, um, Sparkling but gymnastics, uh, yeah, yeah, I just well shit. You, I forgot what I was about to try to say. Oh, oh just that I, I think there are there are issues beyond 
the public being willing to forgive. I, I think there are, there are factors internal to, to the, the, to what's going on with, with uh, Kanye. Like, yeah, oh yeah, I, I, don't, I, I, I don't, I think disagree. he's crossed an event horizon that yeah. like, I just think that yeah. we as a society live in a post-fact world. So we would let something back. Oh you, um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, given the opportunity. So. Yeah. Okay. So, and then Beyonce, who, uh, and Rihanna, and I mean, you've got yeah. these, these women who have really come to the fore as, as just uh, moguls in and of themselves, right? Um, are they bringing something different? Are they just perfecting a thing that's already there? What's, are they considered hip hop or are they? Aren't Not really. They? Okay, um, there you go. Beyonce could definitely rap her ass off, though. She raps here and there, and she does, does she? phenomenal. And okay. yeah, um, and it's not even like, oh, Jay Z must have written that. No, it's like you could, right. yeah, it's her in her own. You could tell it's her. Um, she could rap her ass off, but she just doesn't mm-hmm. rap very often. Okay, um, Rihanna too. Rihanna has rapped once in a while, and okay. it's been really good. But um, but yeah, they're no, nah, they're 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 on a whole nother plane. Um, okay, yeah, a whole nother plane. But the the Jay-Z Beyonce marriage is like a hip hop marriage. Like that is um they are the titans of mainstream hip hop, mm-hmm. pop, whatever. I mean, Beyonce is kind of beyond genre now with her latest release, especially. But um, but yeah, they are they're hegemony. Yeah. So mm-hmm. we had the Cold War of the 90s, and now <laughs> they are the the hegemony. And Jay-Z survived all Jay-Z was there for the biggie Tupac stuff. Like Tupac, right. Tupac was he. He called out Jay Z like he was talking mess about Jay Z on one of his tracks. Like Jay Z is oh, wow. he survived. He's seen a lot of people come and go, a lot of people. But he seems to have grown a lot as well. Granted, okay. he's a hyper capitalist, but in terms yeah. of um, <laughs> in terms of his music and what he says and his mm-hmm. the value that he brings and the humanizing lens that he has brought more recently to his music, he's mm-hmm. definitely grown a lot. And it's just um a reminder that I wish everybody had the opportunity to grow old enough to learn enough to see um sort of the not the errors of their ways but to to come to learn and understand um the harm that they were doing um with mm-hmm. a lot of their stuff in the past but not everybody gets that opportunity now he actually uh is i i would i would also uh credit some of his ability to continue to evolve uh yeah. to his ability to pun uh, because as you know, the song 99 problems, uh, in that second verse, they say, well, we will see how uh, smart you are when the canine comes. And he says, well, I have 99 problems, but a bitch ain't one. And that's clearly a reference to yeah. the dog. So I, you know, that's off there. <laughs> there you have it. Okay. So, I mean, that brings us into the 20 teens. Um, and then 2016 happened and, and. I mean, we're living in, I I guess this would all be the modern era, right? Like we've got, you know, the resurgence of fascism. Um, We've got a pandemic. Um, We saw what the surge of fascism and pandemic did in the 1920s uh, to jazz. Uh, It it really lit a fire under it and and really helped. um, I don't think it helped, but it, it, it really fostered a environment where you see a lot of growth and variation in jazz. Are we seeing that with hip hop or has it stayed kind of 
everything's kind of we've people have dialed in on the formula for making the money and now they are making the money no you're seeing a lot of it. it's it's um I mean, there's just so much hip hop now, like literally any country on the planet, Google them, Google rap, and you're going to find some local artists rapping. Um, okay. It's literally everywhere. But even in the U.S., mainstream, big commercial success artists, um, there are some who are like very, very critically conscious and are very uh, much leading the way in helping us mm -hmm. understand um, the world around us today. So Kendrick Lamar, for sure. J. Cole, for sure. Like those two, any album they release, Kendrick Lamar especially, but any mm -hmm. album they release is going to be, you know, top, hit, top of the charts. And um, and young people are going to talk about it. Folks right. my age are going to talk about it who's, who listen to rap. And, um, you know, Ken, Kendrick Lamar has been on a journey as well in his music. And uh, his most recent album was all about generational trauma and all about unlearning um, some of the harmful um, ways that he was processing his own trauma and it's, all, it's basically an album all about the importance of therapy, uh, especially for men, especially for young black men. And um, it's a commercial success, Grammy nominated and all that. Nice. Even though it was like, yo, black men, we got to go get therapy. And I needed it. I was wrecking my life. And this is what it did for me. And this is what it helped me understand. He's got a song about um, um, homophobia. Uh, transphobia specifically about it's called auntie diaries and um it's controversial because uh there's um it kind of depends on how you interpret his tone of voice is because mm -hmm. he kind of goes back and forth he's his memories as a child growing up with his auntie um so like you know there's controversy over dead naming um uh -huh. for example but it's like what but he's speaking how he spoke then and then so he like his pronouns go back and forth depending on what time period. But some folks are, you know, some folks think right. that's, that's not right, no matter what. So, you know, and he drops F-bombs there reflecting his thoughts at the time and what he was hearing people call his auntie. Sure. Um, but then it's like folks, folks are like, but you're saying it still. So it's still triggering to hear it. So it's mm. controversial. So I'm not saying it's like, you know, I'm not like co-signing the song, but for a, right. a rapper from Compton with street pedigree to be wrestling with this be wrestling with this yeah. and yeah. knowing young young people are listening to it and helping them see how he's come to understand the the connections and overlap between mm -hmm. uh transphobia and racism and how all of our different struggles are are all in one and like nobody's free until everybody's free Right. And st still sell millions of freaking records and do global international tours and still be featured at the Louis Vuitton fashion thing and all that stuff. It's like that's hip hop's come a very long way. So him and, and J. Cole for much lesser level in terms of uh, commercial uh, global notoriety. But J. Cole, mm -hmm. he sells almost as many records and he is hitting people with the same type of content. Um, so there's 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 a lot of that. But then there's also a lot of the BS because BS sells. And at the end of the day, people want to party. So that party right. music is always going to be there. It was there at the beginning. It's going to be here um, throughout. Yeah. I, you know, Meek Mill uh, kind of hits that chord for me of, of talking about and, and again, not not co-signing his stuff. Uh, but, you know, like I'm thinking of the song Wins and Losses. And yeah. Just like juxtaposing like it's the shit that I went through. Here's what I'm trying to do. And at the same time, being very catchy and very, uh, you know, very much. And, and again, like the, the journey he went through, like, you know, finally getting released 
I think what was it? He was on parole violation for stealing a bike or some shit. Yeah, something stupid. It was so bad. Like, and, and, and I'll grant you that that's more like 2016, 2017 stuff. But, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm kind of seeing yeah. that in a proto version in his song. I don't think he got all the way to where what you just described is, but that was just a single song too. But yeah, and there's a ton a ton of artists. Um, Corday, who most people who don't listen to rap probably know as uh, Naomi Osaka's boyfriend and now um, mm. father of her um, expected child. Right. His, his album, he's out of Atlanta. He's, you know, his, his album's all about, uh, you know, processing the trauma that he grew up through and, and learning to do better or to build a better future for others. And, and there's just a lot of artists like that, that most folks like our age would have never heard of. Like I only know him because kids mention him. But right. like young people are listening to, and I'm glad they have stuff like that in their ears. That yeah. although far from perfect, it's it's basically asking them to consider to consider the humanity um, of others and consider the the bonds between all of us as we continue to fight for just freedom, just being able to breathe. So um, there and there's so many artists mm-hmm. out there who. Nowadays, you can't really consider it underground because back then it was underground because you really had to fight to like get it or get access to it because right. all of your content was coming from TV and radio and they weren't showing it. And now everything's you know streaming. Everything's just there for the folks, for the people. So um, it's not even underground. It's just you know maybe maybe not as commercially big time as a Drake, and you're not going to hear their songs as much during commercials or NBA games. But sure. the kids know them. So yeah. So um as we're winding down uh there's yep. there's some folks who just like they kind of pop up in my head when you mention this so forgive me for just being oh what about this person yeah um but uh erica badu um would you consider her hip-hop or is she more r&b she was part of the soul Quarians, who i mentioned okay. either earlier this episode i think yeah. um yeah. So she was part of that like you know uh sort of afrocentric underground type collective that was showing a a dip uh a, yeah uh, you know, juxtaposition between, um, you know, the gangster rap stuff and just being right. holistic, healing, loving humans. Um, but I mean, she herself, although she has rapped a couple of times, she okay. herself is an R&B artist, but she's worked so closely with rap artists that it's right. kind of like hard to separate. It's hard to separate her from rap for sure. Cause I I've noticed her trajectory um, and some of her music is again, much more about that, that collective healing and things like yeah. that. But as you said, she works closely with artists. It, it's somebody mentioned uh, in some podcast that I was listening to. I'm sure um, that she's this really interesting person because she helps people find consciousness, and then she gets a baby from them. Uh, I was gonna say she's she has worked with a lot of rappers musically, yeah. but also um, yeah, you know, family building yeah. wise. Yeah. But uh I, I think that's just kind of interesting because like she owns she's owning it. She's not there's no shame yeah. in it, there's no anything. And again, you know, when you when you talk about like the very beginnings of this stuff is is so misogynistic and so like yeah. women's bodies are a commodity. And then here she is, uh, you know, going on 50 years later, um, and owning her sex and working with a lot of people and and like I'm not saying she's she's the only one responsible for it. Could well be that because they're stepping into these spaces, she finds that attractive. I don't know, um, but she does seem to have a positive influence on these artists, and then also she she gets to enlarge her family 
uh, as as a result. It's just it's kind of an interesting uh, bookend to to what we were saying earlier. So yeah, okay. Well, um, where's it gonna go? I mean, we've got fifty years of of data here. You're an historian. What's gonna repeat? What's uh, what's what's gonna happen that we've never seen before? Um, you know, we'll hold yeah. you to this uh, completely. You know, mm. uh, hold mm-hmm. you responsible. Yeah. Um, no, I'll, I'll, yeah, hold me to it. Uh, yeah. Hope, hopefully, <laughs> in fifty years, I'll be around. To, ah, you're right. Yeah, you got me. You got yeah, you got you got a good chance of it. Uh, um, <laughs> I don't, but you do. Remember, I was I I was pulling up linoleum. So true. Thirty true. years at most. <laughs> Well, the, I guess, long-term, uh-huh. there's so many pieces of rap hip hop that appear like the, it's gotten beyond like even be able to really call it a uh, crossover. Like you see, like even like K-pop groups, like all, so many of those groups have like the rapper among right. them who like raps and stuff that, you know, it's getting to a point where I think it'll be hard to separate the quote unquote rap music from non-rap music because the blending is, it's going to go all kinds of creative um, wild ways. So, you know, and it, which I'm sure will cause a response and you'll get sure. more of the like folks of like quote unquote authentic rap and, 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 and what have you, which is fine. I mean, hell, there's mm-hmm. no shortage now. Like everyone throw your stuff out there and folks will find hopefully what they like um, best. But one of the more immediate challenges is um, the young rappers, the youngest ones, and they're dying way way too much like with my era okay biggie and tupac that was a very big deal and there's a few other um big l a few other rappers who who died but now it's like every month it seems like like um, from the migos just died a few yeah he just got killed uh juice world very popular rapper overdosed pop smoke right before his first big big national hit hit got killed um Lil Peep, who I never listened to, but students did. He overdosed, and I had a student in class crying, like just shook that um, his favorite rapper um, had overdosed and died. And and folks were seeing it live because he, you know, was streaming live when he passed out from whatever he was messing with. Um, Nipsey Hussle killed. Like there's that's so right. many, yeah, that's and right. um, and it's like almost hard to remember because there's so many. Mm-hmm. And you know some of them are smaller platform, but a lot of them are not. Uh, X X X Tentacion, who I never liked, but he got killed, and he was right. popular among the young people. Um, DMX lost his fight with, and the then Hitcher. yeah, and then like a lot of the um, the folks that I grew up on are dying too young because it's mm-hmm. like you know DMX was still young. Uh, MF Doom, who was a legendary uh, lyricist, he he died young. Um, Chugoy Dave from De La Soul, he just died. He's only 56. So it's kind of like um the really young ones are dying. Right. They're either being killed or they're overdosing on drugs. And then the ones who are like, you know, in their 50s and 60s, just the, you know, health outcomes of black men, I suppose. And it's just like a reminder of the importance of um of of health and access to to um access to <laughs> access yeah. to healthcare and just all of the things that that folks didn't have um from a lot of the backgrounds that these rappers grew up in so um lupe fiasco who's one of my favorite rappers he's out mm-hmm. of chicago and he's been around for a long time but he has a song that uh an album came out this past summer and he has a song in the first verse the entirety of the verse is just rappers die too much 
And then he just lets the beat beat ride for a long time. And then eventually he starts singing and he's singing like, I wish, I wish you were lying to me. Like, I wish you were lying to me about the amount of drugs you do. I wish you were lying to me about um, the, the violence that you're part of. Like, I wish you were lying to me because you're dying left and right. The young, the really young rappers are dying. And um, in the nineties, it was much more rare. Definitely no overdoses in the nineties. Like to be a rapper, like you, any, anything beyond marijuana was like, you will get, dissed for that like there's like biggie's one of his most important crack commandments was never get high on your own supply right um so rappers it was like you would be looked down upon like to be found doing any kind of actual drugs like i remember mm-hmm. somebody claimed that um not eminem somebody claimed damn i forget which rapper but that a particular rapper was like doing ecstasy and stuff and it was just like a scandal like what like what the, who is this loser but now it's like normal for rappers to like be doing all these hardcore drugs on their Instagram lives. Right. And um shit, you've got them named after drugs. Like yeah. Little Zan. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know. So um, so that's the immediate challenge. Like hip hop's gonna obviously continue on, but it's just um mm-hmm. it's very dangerous right now for the young ones, man. Maybe I just sound old. Maybe, you know, I'm sure folks in the nineties were like, look how dangerous it is, Tupac and Biggie. Like that's two people. Like I could name right. ten from just the last year. So yeah, uh, do you think too much? Do you think that uh, it, it going forward, um, we're going to see more uh, queer uh, hip hop artists? I mean, I'm I'm thinking of the. I hope success. so. Yeah, I'm thinking I, of the success, I, obviously, from um, oh god, the guy who worked with Nine Inch Nails. Uh, it, 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 he was on the country uh, billboards, and then they took him off. And Lil Nas X. Oh, Lil Nas X. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. They they could not justify taking him off, but they took him off anyway. And it's like, Mm -hmm. "Mm, gee, I wonder why. Right. Yes. So, I mean, I definitely hope so. There was, um, so there's Lil Nas X, obviously. Um, Frank Ocean, who's a singer, but works Mm -hmm. closely with hip hop artists. Um, Tyler, the creator, who is a rapper, um, Mm -hmm. who, you know, some people, you know, accused of like queer baiting because he said he's like insinuated that he's, you know, kissed guys and, and into that, but like mm-hmm. not in such a way as to like firmly take a stand as being out and open. Gotcha. But in any case, even even insinuating that was like That's still something you know, yeah. that was a yeah. career career suicide back in the day. Yeah. Um but there's another rapper, Isaiah Rashad, who um signed to who is signed to TDE, which is Top Dog Entertainment, which is the mm-hmm. album, which is the label that Kendrick Lamar um is part of or has been part of until just very recently. Um, he actually was was outed against his um, without his consent. Somebody released wow. a video of him and another uh, man engaged in sexual acts, and he kind of disappeared online for a little bit. But he came back, and um, his fan base rallied around him. So he's Good. still um, from from what I could see, he he hasn't lost any any popularity or credibility. So um, so hopefully that's a sign of. Uh, folks being able to be their full true selves um, and engage cool. in hip hop without having to to hide or to um, pretend to be something they're not, you know. Nice. So cool. we're seeing Very we're cool. seeing the the pull of authenticity getting widened um, in the future. Then uh, people getting yeah. to be like you said, their full true selves, uh, and also hoping like I I I wish you lied to me. <laughs> like, yeah. Like pull it back mm-hmm. a little bit from from that because. You know that, on some levels, drug abuse is a self medication. Um, yeah. So, okay. Well, I, geez, I, I like the optimism of where you see this going. Mm. Uh, I really do. Uh, and that sounds 
that sounds nice. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, um, yeah. I don't know. I think we've we've hit. Yeah, we got all the way into the future. So yeah. we've there hit we it go. all. Uh, Manuel, thank you so much for uh, for teaching us. Uh, this of course. Is, uh, yeah, I, I learned a know, lot. I really appreciate yeah. it. Very I don't. Much. I don't know any music. Period. Because uh, I've never really listened to much music. Uh, and so it's it's always cool for me to learn about an entire genre. Um, it's also just nice to be able to catch up with you. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> um, is there anything, uh, or is there anywhere that people can find you uh, if you want to be found? Is there? Yeah. So like I, I've taught hip hop studies. Um, I'm an ethnic studies teacher and hip hop studies is certainly under the umbrella of ethnic studies, but I have a podcast about education. So I don't talk a lot of hip hop on there, but I do talk about education a whole lot and that is um it's called all of the above there's like a million shows called all of the above so the easiest way to find me would be at the website aota show.com and you'll see all the links there and uh, contact info and all that good stuff nice um i'm going to uh i'm i'm gonna go around the horn uh ed what what do you recommend for people to read uh this week uh, what I'm actually going to recommend for people to read this week um, is kind of homework uh, in preparation for what I'm going to be talking about next. Okay. Um, I very, very highly recommend The Electric Church, a uh, science fiction novel, and I'm trying to find the author's name because I'm, I'm rereading it. Uh, yeah, you think? Uh, mostly. We've found that most sci- sci-fi that Ed has covered for us uh, starts with H. He's the literate one of the two of us. Uh, <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I, love I look at cartoons. No, nope, you're wrong. Jeff Summers oh, is the author's name. Okay. Um, oh, brother of Mark Summers, um, the guy from Double Dare. Oh, okay. Yeah, making that up. Yeah, okay. Okay. The Electric Church by Jeff Summers um, okay. is a very recent entry in the cyberpunk genre. Okay. Which is what I'm going to be talking about. And um, it's, yeah, it's a, it's an excellent example of a whole lot of the parts that I'm going to get into uh, about what makes cyberpunk cyberpunk. Mm-hmm. And yeah, okay. and it's, it's a propulsive read. So okay, that's my recommendation. What about you? Nice. I'm going to recommend that you uh, download the single fly away <laughs> from 2019 uh, by Blacklight, B-L-A-Q-L-I-G-H-T. Um, okay. It gets at some of the stuff that we're talking about. It's also uh, a friend of mine's and Emmanuel's uh, musical uh, effort. Um, it's a it's a it's a good good bit of music. So I'm gonna just recommend right. that to folks. Um, Manuel, what do you recommend for us? Well, since you were asking me about the future, mm. and we had a sci-fi recommendation, mm-hmm. since I do work at the alma mater of the great science fiction writer, Octavia Butler, I would recommend Parable of the Sower and say, I hope our future is brighter than that. <laughs> Parable of the Sower. Yes. Nice. Let's, let's all hope. Yes. Definitely. Yeah. Cool. Well, again, uh, AOTAshow.com. Yeah. So uh, download that after you uh, finish giving us a five-star review. Um, mm-hmm. And then go listen to Manuel's stuff. Uh, he does incredible work talking about education. Uh, I've listened for a long time uh, and not just to the episodes that he's had me on. Um, but uh, 
it's it's good stuff uh for the longest time you had a youtube channel for that too uh that was yeah when we you know when we have guests on we throw it on the youtube also yeah, but, that's pretty cool yeah. um so yeah a aota show.com yep. uh and again uh dr manuel rustin thank you so much for joining us thank you for having me absolutely and for a geek history of time i'm damien harmony and i'm ed blaylock and until next time keep rolling 20s <laughs>